Hey guys, welcome back to Bodies in the Bayous. I'm Morgan. And I'm Gretchen. Today we're bringing you season one, The Texas Killing Fields, episode 21, William Lewis Reese, A Predator in the Community, part two. We left off our last episode telling you about Laura Smithers, Sandra, and Kelly Cox and what Reese's involvement was in their cases. Today, we are gonna talk about Tiffany Johnston and Jessica Kane. And just as a reminder, Reese has been brought back and is currently in Friendswood, Texas, and he is here to await trial. Okay, thank you. So Tiffany Johnson was a young, newly married girl in Bethany, Oklahoma. She was the youngest of three children born to Kathy and Mike. Friends described her as Miss Personality, the nicest, bubbliest person you'd ever meet. While in school in the town of Chickasha, she was a member of the 4-H club, FFA, and the FBLA. She worked as a waitress and also worked in an office at customer service. She was married to her husband, Ryan, for three months. She went to the car wash in order to wash her car because she had plans for a night out of celebration for her three-month anniversary. She never made it to dinner that night. She disappeared on July 26, 1997. Her white 1995 Dodge Neon was found at the Sunshine Car Wash. The mats were still hanging in the wash clips and the keys were found in the ignition. At the time, this baffled police because they said the car wash would have been very busy that day and that cars would have possibly been, wait, possibly been waiting in line to use the bay. But yet no one reported anything until the call came in that evening to the report of an abandoned car in the bay. Tiffany's body was found the next day in the weeds off of the highway near Gregory Road and Interstate 40 in Yukon, Oklahoma, which Yukon, Oklahoma and Bethany, Oklahoma are roughly about 16 minutes, 15, 16 minutes away from each other. She was nude except for a bathing suit top. She had been raped and strangled and the medical examiner found semen on her body. Kathy, Tiffany's mom, would raise over $2,000 to give a reward for information on the case within the first week. She would also work as a waitress to raise more money for the reward and to pay for her daughter's funeral. One lead that police began to pursue was that a man had tried to abduct a woman at a gas station on August 27th, 1997, in Bethany, Oklahoma. The man attempted to talk to the woman while she pumped gas. After she put the hose in her car, he walked up to her, grabbing her arm and shirt and tried to pull her with him. The woman fell down and hit her head and someone began to yell at the man and he ran and got into his red GMC truck and left. The man appeared to be a white man very pale with dark hair in his mid twenties with no facial hair, but he had a mole on his lip. So when you look at this description, it does not match Reese, William Lewis Reese. But one thing we do know is that I did, 
eyewitness identification is is not great. Um, it does in some ways match his MO a bit, except that we're talking about, you know, approaching somebody where witnesses are also there. But when you look at, you know, the case with Sandra, there were witnesses coming in and out of that gas station that night too. So, um, you know, it's just possible that, that it is Reese. It's also possible that it was somebody else. The mole thing tends to throw it off a little bit, but when I tried to track down photographs of Reese without any facial hair, I have come across a photograph of him in um, prison where he does appear to have a mole on his cheek. Right. So um, we, he would be a, older, he would have been in his 30s, but again, you know, when you're talking about eyewitness identification, it's it's hard. People get a chance to see somebody for a split second and they're in that emergency kind of like, I need to either this man is grabbing me and, and trying to pull me into his car or, or a witness is like, oh my gosh, this lady was getting abducted in front of me. And um, so I think, I definitely think the police had, were on the right track of trying to investigate that other crime. I can't say for sure whether or not they were connected. Right. You know, one question just uh, before we move on a little bit farther into her background is I did ask you why the police would think that gas station is so busy, right? Oh, Except for on wash. that day, which would have been kind of odd, right? And I think you had, you know, just said, well, maybe it's just normally a busy car wash, yeah. right? Um, and that could just be the daily norm. So, yeah, it could be a daily norm. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what day of the week um, this was. Certainly can probably look that up at a later time. You know, car washes sometimes are busier on the weekend. And so, you know, that that could have been it, too. Um, I mean, it could have been a place that people hung out at that town, too. Right. I mean, that happens. So. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, the, definitely the, the police would have a better idea of, you know the norm of a of the get of the car wash in a small town like that and so it to me is interesting that it seems like an extended period of time did go by with her car parked in that yeah. bay before somebody did call. i mean like if you were to pull up if i know if i was to pull up at a, a car wash mm -hmm. and i just see this abandoned vehicle and the keys and stuff are in there i would think that's extremely odd yeah, but you I, know, I don't know if I would report that necessarily right away. Right. You know, but I would think that's odd. You know, I guess part of it would be um, when people are, are seeing the car parked in there, are they going as far as to notice the keys are, are actually still there in the ignition? Because you almost have to open up the door to actually notice that they are. And so maybe they didn't actually open up the door. And I guess part of it would well, be. Well, that's true too. And then you know how some of them have those brick, most of them have those brick uh -huh. walls in between it. You may yeah. not even be looking that closely. Unless you pulled up behind and we're like, oh, there's somebody parked there and they're not washing their car anymore. But the part of my thing would be if I saw that, my thought would go, oh, their car is, they're having car trouble. Yeah. You know, um, maybe they got the battery wet or the car wouldn't start. And so my assumption would be, you know, you don't necessarily want to make their day worse by getting it towed, getting it towed. And, and so that might be kind of where you go is you're like, I'm not gonna call, you know, it's just poor, some poor person's 
car has gotten yeah. stalled in there. And I mean, even if you were to pull up behind, you know, a car sitting in the bay like that, would you necessarily wait forever? I mean, you know, if I don't see somebody moving around that car in 10 minutes, I'm going to back he up into another spot, right? You know, bay, yeah. So, um, it just may not have been alarming to anybody, I guess. And I think that's what it was, is that it just didn't raise to the level of alarm until a little bit later in that day. And probably at that point, um, calls had come into the owner of the car wash mm -hmm. to come and check that out. And then when he gets there, then he goes ahead and calls the, the police department to say, hey, I have this abandoned car here. Right. You know, and it looks a little sketchy. But I think... I, my first inclination would not be to necessarily call the cops on somebody who let their car parked in the bay. It would be like, oh, they probably went to get a jump or something like that. I mean, or, you know, cleaning supply or I don't know, yeah. anything, you know, I'm really. So. So it was very early on in Tiffany's case and investigation where. The connection to a man charged with similar crimes in Texas gets mentioned. It's also clear through the investigation that Oklahoma went to Texas to question William Lewis Reese why he was in jail on the uh, kidnapping charges on Sandra. So this is before his trial, but why he's still in jail. They're actually going to Texas to, um, to question him. Reese told investigators that he knew the Johnsons and he knew the owner of the car wash and that the owner of the car wash then also told investigators that he knew Reese and Reese was a regular at the car wash. With me, one of my things about this is I'm not sure how much of a regular a man living in Texas was because he's making trips from Texas to Oklahoma, but if he's going to car wash that often, one of the things that you said to me is that's concerning behavior. Yeah, because he could be traveling to go see his mother, but in the meantime, he's cleaning out his vehicle from other crimes that he's committed either in Texas or on the way mm -hmm. to Oklahoma. Right. I mean, there can be just numerous assaults or anything else we don't know or this total speculation, but he could be doing all kinds of things on the way up there. And we did look it up and it's less than eight hours mm -hmm. from from Houston or from this this area to where his mother lives. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to me that this guy says he was a regular because you have to remember that from 1986 to 1996, Reese is in prison right. on charges in Oklahoma. So the only amount of time that he's out is sometime in 1996 to the September of 1997. And yet he's living in the Houston area, but he's a regular to the car wash. That's concerning to me yeah. because when I first started looking for information on this case, I was thinking, you know, maybe he went to back and forth to Oklahoma, maybe once or twice while he was living down in the Houston area. But this sounds like he was making that trip quite often. And if he's making that trip quite often, yes, it is only seven hours, but that's seven hours from Houston to Oklahoma and all the area in between of thinking to yourself, what other victims are possibly out there that could be connected to yeah, Reese? That's exactly where my mind goes with that every single time we talk about it. And it's just a day trip. So think if you leave at six in the morning, right, you're going to go see your mom, you could be there by two. All right. Say you stop along the way and you, you know, do criminal activity, you can still be there by four o'clock, right. you know, where people are going to recognize you. Oh yeah. So-and-so, you know, I mean, it's possible. 
So at the time, Reese claimed that he was not in the Oklahoma at the time of Tiffany's death. But Texas Rangers um, actually did uh, go back and they determined that in 2013, they actually determined that phone records showed that Reese made a phone call with his AT&T phone card from a payphone on Interstate 40 and Mustang Road in Oklahoma. It's pretty much near um, the area that we're talking about where Tiffany's body was, right. was found. And so that puts him in Oklahoma at the time of her disappearance. Right. And so I, it was very interesting to me too about the um, AT&T phone cards that they've managed to track down the information that they've gotten from this. And, you know, it, you always kind of hear about cell phone records and cell phones putting us in place. And one of the things that we, you know, did find out is that Reese actually had a cell phone or at least, you know, had a cord for a cell phone in his truck. And at one point in time, there seemed to be a cell phone clip, but then apparently is using an AT&T phone card. And part of that to me wonders if that's because he was trying to not have any records on his cell phone about where but he how was. How do they know that? Are the, the cards are registered? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I guess the card would have been registered mm -hmm. to him. And I think I kind of remember in that time a little bit, too, even though you had cell phones, you weren't using them like that because you were paying for minutes. Right. So that might have been a way for him to, you know, I guess put time quote unquote time on your phone right? could have been too. And, you know, I mean, I do remember also, I mean, you're talking very early on with the time of phone cards, you would pay more for roaming. Mm -hmm. So if you left your home area or network, then you paid more for roaming. And then you also were talking earlier in the nineties, you don't know how good the cell phone service would have been in this area either. So it could be possible that he wasn't even able to use a cell phone. Mm -hmm. So no, I definitely remember that because I would have a cell phone provider, right? right? Uh -huh. But it may not be in every state. So you definitely were paying roaming charges yeah. in the states in between that. So, well, there's a, there's a little old school yeah. to, uh, yes. kind of thing for, for people about, you know, the beginning of cell phones, <laughs> but it is, it is interesting, you know, how they managed to kind of tie all this together. Cause when you first start to look at these cases, you really believe that you, you know, so many cases are solved by that. Just, we never knew who did it. And, and so then the DNA came back and it's like this aha moment with this case, investigators did a lot of boots on the ground, you know, little things that they put together that made this, you know, so much stronger than just a DNA type. Thing. Right. So, and I wonder how they knew about the card too. Was it, it must've been an evidence somehow. Because how would they know about that? Well, they could have pulled his mother's uh, phone records, found like the number or something like that yeah. on there, and then, you know, tracked it back, tracked it through there. They could have had it when he was arrested with his charge with Sandra, mm -hmm. and then just simply pulled it and looked at the phone records for it there too. That's true. So, you know, all sorts of things that, that come into play there, you know, when they're taking all these documentation on other cases, you know, and having it with the hopes of using it on that case and then coming back and going through that documentation and being like, well, now we have this. Right. So, um, 
And you said that was 2000. 2013, it seems to be when they they announced it, whether or not they had that information mm -hmm. earlier than that, and they just chose to to make that announcement. But um, but that does seem to be, you know, around about the time that they are putting two and two together there. Um, and they, they are going back out to kind of interview him again at that point. So, you know, they're trying they're trying their best to make a, a stronger case, you know, without, without that. Um, in that it does also come out. It is true that he did not know uh, Tiffany herself, but he did know Tiffany's mom. He had met her while she was waitressing and trying to pay for Tiffany's wedding. Reese claimed that in court documents, he was a friend of Tiffany's mother, father, and sister, but he did not know Tiffany. Kathy also knew Reese's mother. She had helped her with ironing, and everyone believes that Tiffany had never uh, met him before her abduction. Right, and you know what's kind of odd about that too is he Reese does call her mother and offer his condolences, and she thought that was weird at the uh -huh. time. You know, I have I've read this somewhere, and she was thinking, you know, it's one thing maybe his mother would call her but him right. calling she just always felt like that was something weird well and i think you know he says they were friends i you know from from what i have read i think that's a very loose interpretation of friendship i think that he was more of an acquaintance mm -hmm. you know that they knew him kind of through his mother but it was it, probably it was, more or less like that's my son you know i mean he's just yeah. trying to use that to, they may have known him at sight but not necessarily i don't think they were having him over he's not like a family friend type relationship right um the other connection through the mother is that um kathy also talks about how after her daughter's death she would go to her daughter's grave and she would find little trinkets which start showing up on her daughter's grave and then in 2004 when reese's mother passes away then the trinkets also stop showing up and so she has always believed that reese's mother may have known you know um what had happened it it certainly is possible i mean she certainly knew his history and it was, you know, I she mean, may have just had that speculation and that doubt, you know, um, at the least. Right. Right. And, but at the same time, this is also a woman who, you know, would be grieving the loss of a young, beautiful young woman in her community too. Mm -hmm. And so that may have been part of it is that she did feel a little connection to Kathy. And, and so she would go out there to, you know, it's hard to say. You're not necessarily interviewing her, getting that information from her. Even though police were looking into a con connection to Tiffany from with William Lewis Reese, they were also had other cases that had happened around the same time of Tiffany's that they had to make sure that, that her cases and those were not related. There was a case of a missing eight-year-old girl in a neighboring town and the murder of another woman three days found three days after Tiffany's body was discovered only a few miles away. Although both of these cases are now solved and there was no connection, police had to do their investigating into that possibility. The DNA found on her body, which would have been, um, they felt like they had sperm on her body at one point, but the DNA found on her body was tested several times. But it wasn't until advancements in 2015 that would link the DNA to William Lewis Reese to her death. 
he was then charged with Tiffany Johnson's murder and and the DNA was the final connection to prove this case for him. After he was charged with Tiffany's murder, he was still in the Huntsville prison in Texas. So the Texas Rangers went to speak to him and he was willing to cooperate with them in order to avoid the death penalty in Texas. And he also stated that he was cooperating because he finally wanted to bring closure to the victim's families. Please. Every time somebody says that as a predator, it just drives me nuts. It just does. I mean, it's, it's more for them. It's nothing about those families. Right. This is, this is when he agreed to lead them to the bodies of Kelly Cox and Jessica Kane. In March, on March 1st, 2016, Reese then confessed to strangling Tiffany. He stated that he did not know why it happened. He said that he was at the car wash because his oil filter became loose and it had sprayed oil on his truck. And then a woman pulled in and he accidentally got her wet. They began to argue and he hit her on the head, threw her in his trailer, sexually assaulted her. And then that she hit him in a, on the head with a horseshoe that she found in the trailer. And so he grabbed and strangled her to death. He stated that he threw her clothes in the creek. And Reese also stated that he did not know Tiffany. It was only after murdering her that he realized that he knew her parents and her sister. Do you believe that? Um, well, so, I mean, it's hard. I mean, he, I mean, he never met her, right? The mom confirms that. Right. So I do believe he didn't know her. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I do believe he didn't know her. Do I believe that he happened to be at the car wash because he had sprayed oil on his truck? No, I don't. I think that he would use gas stations and other places where he could find women alone. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're talking about a place where you can find a woman who might pull in, kind of be busy doing something, let her guard down, a car wash to me seems like a place that you could kind of hang out, you know, look like you were washing your car or something like that and wait for that opportunity. Sure. And it's noisy there. Right. You know, so, so you wouldn't necessarily necessarily even hear somebody walking up behind you. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I, I personally feel like this guy was trolling for victims every Everywhere single could. second that he could, Yeah, you know, and I, I don't think that he just, you know, happened to be there and then he accidentally sprays her and then she argues with him. I think it's a way of like justifying his behavior. Sure. You know, um, and uh, and then the other thing that really makes me hesitate on that one is, again, I still go back to the car wash guy saying that he was a regular there. You know, I'm <laughs> just like you. I'm telling you, I just have a weird, and this is just my gut. I just have a weird feeling he's there <sighs> to not do it near the other crime scenes in Texas. I mean, uh-huh. clean out his his truck. So. And one thing that we do know is that he will travel a great distance or a distance because if you go back to Kelly Cox, so he kidnaps Kelly Cox in Denton, Texas, which is a 
near the Oklahoma border of Texas and Oklahoma, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Texas, sorry about that. Texas, Oklahoma border. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. But so in your, in your trip of coming from Oklahoma, you know, you're, you're only about two hours into that uh, seven hour trip. So then he drives another four hours before disposing of her body in Brazoria County. Yeah. You know, um, so he does go out of his way to destroy evidence. Mm-hmm. you know and and he does travel yeah um whether or not he traveled with her and he had already killed her or he traveled with her and then killed her in brazoria county and then disposed of her body i don't know i don't know that it makes that much of a difference mm-hmm. um but it is kind of an mo that he has is that he will he will and so to think that he couldn't that he could have kidnapped somebody in Texas and then drove to Oklahoma to dispose of any evidence. I think it's possible. Yes. You know, to me, I mean, he could be driving and just casually tossing stuff out the window at right. this point. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, so he is convicted of Tiffany's murder in June on June 2nd, 2020, and he is sentenced to death in Oklahoma. So when he made the deals in Texas to sh- to show them where Kelly Cox and Jessica Kane's body was, they took the death penalty off the table in Texas. Mm-hmm. That did not say that um, they were taking the death penalty off the table in Oklahoma. What I what I can say about that is that probably Oklahoma believed that there were no other Oklahoma victims in order to make a deal with him. Right. So I mean that makes sense. Um, I mean, there's a possibility. We just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And unfortunately, I don't think that this, I think this guy is a predator. I think there's no way he didn't. Right. And I think we'll get into that a little bit more. So we're going to talk about um, our last known victim of William Lewis Reese, and that would be Jessica Kane. So Jessica Lee Kane was the 17-year-old daughter of C.H. and Susie Kane. She had graduated from high school, from a Catholic high school. She was five foot, four inches tall, 140 pounds, light brown hair with blonde highlights and blue eyes. She lived with her family on Tiki Island. She was considered to be a fun-spirited, creative girl who loved to act and dance. And most of all, she was known for compassion, always wanting to take care of everyone. On August 17, 1997, she had just finished a play at Harbor House in Dickinson and stayed after with the cast for a theater party at Bennigan's restaurant at the Baybrook Mall, which is just right off of um, Interstate 45 that we've talked about outside of Houston, um, off of Interstate 45. So she left her home around, I mean, she left for home, she left the restaurant for home around 1.30 a.m. in the evening, getting in her truck she would not return home that night. The next morning, her father found her, ta- her tan 1992 extended cab 
pickup truck with the camper shell. It was pulled off to the side of the road on Interstate 45 near Omega Drive in Lamarck, Texas, which 45 goes through um, Lamarck and then on into where it dead ends in Galveston, Texas. So this is shortly before that. And actually she would have been from Omega Drive to where she lived in Tiki Island. She's like less than 10 minutes yeah. to home, mm -hmm. you know, between five and 10 minutes to home. And uh, when he checked out the truck, it was in working order. Inside the truck was her wallet and um, could not figure out at that point what would make her pull over on the side of the freeway. Friends would later say that it was possible that if somebody would flash their lights at them, she would have pulled over wanting to help if someone needed it. I think the other possibility here is that somebody waved her over. They could have waved her over, you know, um, especially him. He's, he knows how to somehow, I guess, get a good rapport with people, right? Uh -huh. So he could have simply honked at her. You know how people pull up to you sometimes and be like, you got a flat tire. Uh -huh. It could be something that simple. And with her age, too, you know, it might have scared her enough to pull over. And I think one of the questions that comes up in this case is, you know, because he does target people. So she's driving down 45, you know, did he notice her then or did he notice her at Bennigan's? Oh yeah. I mean, sure. my guess is that he noticed her before she ever got in the car. I think so too, that, because that seems to be his thing too, mm -hmm. right? He sees a woman, think about Sandra, you know, he saw her and then convinces her about her tire. You know, I mean, he's probably, he probably had his eye on her uh -huh. and followed her a little bit. Yeah. I just have a hard time believing that, you know, she's just driving down the road and he happens to spot a young woman in a car right. by herself, just kind of speeding down 45 and decides to do it there. I think that maybe he attempted or tried to do something to her vehicle earlier, saw her walking out of the restaurant, thought that that was his opportunity and followed her but we don't really know there. Um, the day after her disappearance, there was a massive countywide search for her. Five, four to 500 volunteers of people coming out to help every law enforcement agency in the county and actually several neighboring counties mm -hmm. too came out to search for her. Students who went to school with her at the high school and um, also the six clubs that she was a member of all sent word out that um, they were searching. And so they would line up and search in the salt, salt grass and the bayous. The area that they're talking about where her car was on either side of the road, you really have these kind marshes, of marshes almost. and mm -hmm. wandering bayous and stuff. So part of the concern there was, did she get out of her car and, and wander off? Did she get out of her car to check out her car and maybe was injured and kind of, you know, um, wandered off? I think, you know, the hope is that they're not looking for somebody who has been abducted, but they're looking for somebody that they may be able to, to locate. Right. I know they also um, called in the Navy CBs to join the search. And at that point in time, they also brought in search dogs. So this is the first disappearance that we've heard of where search dogs were actually used. I'm not 100% sure that they weren't used in earlier searches, but we do know that search dogs were actually used in this search. A few days after her disappearance, there was a witness that reported seeing a red car behind her truck. And I think we've talked about this 
um, before. So this kind of led police to to look into other cases that involved somebody that had a red car with the hopes of being able to track down whoever had, uh, had killed her. Um, Reese was not the only suspect in Jessica's case. I think for years they've been working this case with the thought of talking to any suspects out there. In September, the Jessica Kane Recovery Center and the Galveston newspaper both received calls, claims that Jessica had been found alive in Louisiana. Sadly, this would not be true. And they were just rumors. And actually, you know, what's very interesting about this is of these recovery centers, one of the things that, that does get brought up is that there are a lot of these types of calls. You know, people feel like they see somebody in a different state, which is helpful, you know, in, in many ways. But at the same time, it's it's a lot of going out and having to investigate yeah. those two. But I can see how that happens because like not being from here, sometimes, you know, I'll see people I'm like, oh my gosh, it looks just like so-and-so. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, knowing that that's not them because we're not in right. the same state, but you look at people and you just feel like they look just so much like them, uh -huh. you know, and you know, it's almost better to report than not at yes. this point. So I think it's always better you know. to report. So, um, but we see this in the other cases mm -hmm. too, like the Kelly Cox case, where you get a lot of these calls that law enforcement. Um, and you know, and when we talk about these cases too, or we, you know, talk about how our podcast with um, some of our coworkers, this is one of, this is a girl that everybody almost seems to remember. Yes. You know, it was, she was definitely forefront and there was definitely a search for her. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everybody can tell you about her. Well, and we've talked to a lot of people in this community who actually were out on those searches. Mm -hmm. So um, for them, you know, the fact that that she's been located and stuff, I'm sure, you know, finally helps to, to hear mm -hmm. that. In um, um, the Smithers family, who you know, all know is also a victim of William Lewis Reese helped in the search for Jessica. And they also helped raise over $50,000 for the reward. Mm -hmm. so, and you know, some of the video too, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, no, but I know fine. some of the, the video too, um, that we'll see, you know, of this search for her, you see the two mothers like yeah. holding hands, you know, I mean, you can just tell that they both feel it, you know, it's, it's, an, it's, I guess that, force that kind of brings you together. Reese would lead them to her body in a lot off of Orem Drive and the 6300 block in Houston near the Hobby Airport. It would take three weeks of searching and digging before they found the remains on March 18th, 2016. So, so this is a lot of information that we've kind of spread out and stuff like that. And some of it gets lost. And even for us, when we're trying to like, be like, okay, you know, what happened first, second, third, you know, it, it does get confusing. So we have put a timeline on the Facebook page. And if you haven't seen that Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash bodies in the bayous. So you can check that out. We have laid out a, a, a timeline of different events that we've covered so that way if if you're trying to kind of look at it visually from that point you can definitely take a look at that um and uh i i found it to be helpful because in a lot of places you know you have 
Sandra being kidnapped and it, it becomes confusing. So mm -hmm. that well, and sometimes Sandra's not even there because she is alive. Right. You know, so it's important to put her mm -hmm. on there. Today, Reese is 62 years old. He has spent the last 25 years in prison, either in the state of Texas or the state of Oklahoma. And before his reign of terror that lasted roughly a year and a half, <coughs> he was in prison in Oklahoma for 10 years before that. Reese will stand trial for the murders of Laura Kate Smithers and Jessica Kane in Galveston County. Then he will face charges in Brazoria County for the murder of Kelly Cox. The Smithers family has made a statement a statement to the media that they are glad he's back in Texas to face charges. One has to ask, is there more information out there that Reese, does Reese have more information on more crimes that he'd be willing to tell? Um, so I, I don't know how it would benefit him. You know, he's not going to get off the death penalty in Oklahoma for him to tell but part of me come on it's all about the families <laughs> right sorry i had to throw that out there part of me actually thinks he's quite a narcissist yes. and so i think that he may tell more of what he holds on to because he lives a little bit like when they give him that sentence state where it's you know his time i bet you he has something to say i mean that's just my gut feeling total speculation but you know it'll be that oh you know i got a few more things i can tell you uh -huh. you know keep me on keep me alive and i'll give you a few more things you know i just feel it well i think you know it it does seem to me like there's there's more out there that can happen so on that note houston news 13 broke a story about a woman named angie who came forward said she was kidnapped in July of 1997 at a gas station in North Houston by William Lewis Reese and an accomplice named Joey. She managed to escape, but Reese came after her, assaulted her with some sort of um, metal or hard object, uh, beating her severely. And at that point, she his accomplice came out and she watched Reese stab his accomplice, Joey, several times. She said that he placed Joey's body and her in the truck and that she was able to escape again by kind of grabbing at him, getting him to run off the road. Other than, um, there's no information out there on like Joey or did they ever find a body for Joey? What, what the uh, News 13 does have is they do have a sketch. Um, and But this would mean that we're looking for a male stabbed sometime around July of 1997 or a male named Joey who didn't come back from 1997. And for a while I was thinking, you know, we would you would have to think about the Houston area. But considering Reese's travels, Joey could probably be anywhere from here to Oklahoma. Right. Um, I, we're going to try to share that story on, um, the Facebook page. We were having trouble finding a link to the story and actually sharing the story. So, um, it's, it's certainly interesting. I've never 
heard of him working with an accomplice. I don't think that he's ever come forward and, and worked, said he worked with an accomplice, but, um, I don't see him as a sharing type either. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, you know, we were having the discussion earlier, like accomplice, you know, that would be new to right. us. And I'm just wondering if he just wasn't somebody that got in the way, mm-hmm. you know, cause why else kill him? Like you don't want him to be able to identify you or say anything against you or whatever, you know, I mean, if he was your accomplice, you wouldn't. Right. You know, um, and her, you know, when you, when you listen to her story, her story does have a lot of, of points that do seem to match up kind of with his MO about disabled car, offering to help, gas station, the area, all of that. Um, and she would have definitely fit the age. Right. Yeah. She definitely would have, mm-hmm. um, been right, been around the right age. The 1997 does make, um, does put him out and active. I think, you know, our thought is obviously that the police are probably talking to her and police are probably talking to, um, probably you're going to talk to Reese. And, and so, you know, you just kind of have to see what comes out of that, but it was, it was definitely an interesting story that we just uh, saw. And again, this is not something that we broke. This is an exclusive for ABC News uh, 13 out of Houston. So if we're not able to share that link on our Facebook page, try looking on their Facebook page and see if you can track down the link. Mm-hmm. So, And we truly, truly do believe it was wor- it's worth mentioning because something could come from this. Yeah. You know, even if we find Joey, you know, and um this woman gets some closure and like she says and you know in the Mm -hmm. video she's trying to speak out for everybody else so so and i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility other victims i mean you know so and if she you know this happened obviously this happened to her but you know it's a possibility that she's not a victim of reese but that she's a victim of somebody else too and so you know it does give us a chance to share her story and you know um hope that it gets investigated and kind of figured out yes absolutely on that note though um we will bring you more updates on this case as as we find things out um so kind of stay tuned for that as it proceeds forward you know we hope to hear more and share more uh check us out on facebook and then um if you like our podcast or even if you don't like our podcast uh review us and uh let us know we're always looking for feedback absolutely don't forget to go give us some good stars guys (laughs) (laughs) so thanks for joining us today Signing off.